What's up, everybody? How's it going? Anthony Gazenza here with John Sheeran talking some Bengals football. Bengals took one on the chin, figuratively, literally everything last week. So we're going to talk a little bit more about that. And of course, what's ahead in what has become one of the ultimate rivalries in the NFL, at least over the past two, three years in the Bengals and the Chiefs taking place on New Year's Eve. I hope everybody had a great Christmas a great Hanukkah, whatever you may or may not be celebrating. Hope you are having a great time of year. Uh, a belated Merry Christmas to you, my friend, John, and uh, hope you're doing well, man. Yep. Happy late Christmas to you as well, Anthony, and to your your family and everyone and the Kazenza family and the Sheeran family. Merry Christmas all around. Yeah, my mom was a Steel- my mom's a big Steelers fan, so her Christmas went went That's a little right. bit better. That's yeah. right. Yeah, you, you know I remember she, you she, telling she, us that she didn't have she didn't have the greatest week last week. So I'm I'm happy that um, <laughs> the Steelers kind of gave her that. But you know what? At the end of the day, when a guy named Rudolph is starting against you two nights before Christmas, I mean, I mean, what, what are you going to do? Right? It's, just, it's written in the stars. You know, it wasn't that I foggy, know. I guess, in Pittsburgh. But ah, yeah. I like what you did there. I like what you did there. Yeah, you're. Your mother, as a Steelers fan, must have had quite the emotional roller coaster of five uh, the last five weeks, right? It's uh, <laughs> two two big wins over the Bengals, sandwiched around what three straight losses, right? Um, and you know, I mean, I when you look at the disparity of the rosters, and we'll get more into this in a little bit. You kind of felt like, okay, well, the Bengals, and a lot of people were saying the same. The Bengals should win this game, uh, quarterback issues, all that kind of stuff. But there was just this lingering feeling at least that I had where you're really going to get the Steelers to lose four straight and you're going to get them to do that at home and you're going to get them to do that with their playoff life barely having a heartbeat left I I just didn't see it occurring for the Bengals in that regard but um, you know I also you know the Bengals were winners of three straight were they going to keep that rolling it's so hard to win four straight in the NFL we know that so it was two teams trending in different directions and one just completely flipped the script on the other Bengals fall to eight and seven and they have two critical games coming up here basically more or less have to win both of them maybe even get some help there's all kinds of weird scenarios out there because of the quarterback attrition across the league a lot of the AFC teams cannibalizing each other and and getting trying to fight their way back into things here so um we'll, we'll and we'll talk about all that but i'm anthony he's john if you are new here welcome we appreciate it. we've got a lot of people uh, watching us on a number of different platforms we've started to restream to a couple of different twitter accounts so um you can check it out there of course our youtube channel which you can subscribe to by clicking the show icon underneath john sheeran and that cincy jungle icon on his 
side of the page there, click that, as well as the bell to be notified when we go live and when new content is available. You can also get this show and the others on the Cincy Jungle podcast channel, which include Three and Out from Jason and Kevin, the great work from the coach Matt Minnick, and Talking Football with Bengal Jim and Friends. They just had Yoshi on the show this week, so uh, you got to go check out that. And he's he was a uh, – I watched a, a bit of that. That was a, a really fun interview. He's got a million-dollar smile, really engaging personality. Seems like a really, really good guy. So um, go check out that. And it's on your favorite audio streamers, iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, Google Podcasts, iHeartRadio, Amazon, all the ones. Go get it. All right. So – uh, hey, hi, we're seeing a lot of hellos across the platforms. Here we go. Hi, guys, from Andrew on Twitter. Chris saying good evening, AC and John from Facebook. And, of course, Mark saying what's up. Uh, all right. So I talked about this on the postgame show. And for those, I want to give a, a tip of the cap and make sure that we note uh, for you to go and check out the article that was done shortly after the Bengals loss to the Steelers by Paul Daner Jr. of The Athletic. Go go get yourself behind that paywall and uh, subscribe to The Athletic and get some great stuff that he puts out there. But there was a lot of talk about the physicality and what a difference a week makes, John Sheeran, because against the Minnesota Vikings, there was a moment in that game where you go, there's the physicality you need as a team. There's the tenacity, the intensity that you need, and that was on display Twice in that game, the fourth and one stop by the Bengals late in the game. Twice, a third and one and a fourth and one stop that got him the ball back. And Joe Mixon rolling over Ivan Pace into the end zone when he got stuck. You know, I mean, they met in the hole and he just, you know, plowed forward over him. You go, there it is. And what a difference a week makes because one week later against the Pittsburgh Steelers, you saw them just throttling the Bengals all over the field. None more obvious, and I hate to point out one player, but none more obvious than Jalen Warren just taking it to Jermaine Pratt at the end zone. And so here we are again. Um, I'll have to pull up the records, but I think it's something to the effect of 12 and 32 and since 2003. And this has been the most competitive stretch of Bengals football pretty much ever, um, at least for a lengthy period of time, 2003 through 2023-2023. Um, you know, 12 and 32, two postseason losses, a lot of lopsided losses. And here is one again when the stakes are very, very high, John. And so in that article with with Paul Daner Jr., there was a lot of quotes about physicality, lack of physicality. And I contended that the Bengals needed to really be hyped, not to look forward to the offseason quite yet fully, but this offseason has to be not so much let's obsess over the Chiefs, let's obsess over the Bills. It has to be What's happening in our backyard? How do we take care of business in our backyard? And so that is where I am. I know the Bengals are on the heels of two division titles, but this year has shown a lot of problems for the Bengals in this division. Right. I think the important thing here in this discussion is to not lean so far one way or the other, because in 2021, it was the best of both worlds. Um, The word finesse is now getting thrown around in the comments section from Les Hernandez. Hello from Louisiana. I remember the the days leading up to the Tennessee Titans divisional playoff mm-hmm. game when a lot mm-hmm. of Titans fans like, I don't know, the Bengals seem like a finesse team. And that obviously wasn't the case because they they had great success against AFC North teams that season. And in general, their defense was incredibly physical and it was physical enough to match up 
against the run first team that you know the Derrick Henry Titans were that season when they were the one seed right they took a lot of people by surprise their defense was really the engine that carried them to the Super Bowl that year but on offense they were still a high-powered machine with obviously Burrow and Chase connecting for like 1400 yards Higgins as the best number two receiver in the NFL just an electric passing game and we saw that at the end of the 2022 season too when the defense was still you know, at its core, pretty physical, and it was able to match up with basically any team that they could while also shutting down, you know, the elite quarterbacks of the league. We've seen a lot of personnel changes this year, and obviously injuries have kind of impacted that as well, specifically in this past game where the Steelers haven't changed at all in the past 20 years. They're basically still the same team with just different faces and different numbers. The Bengals have changed a decent amount, though, this past year, and I think on both sides of the ball, you've seen the offensive line, Prioritize getting just big bodies that can pass protect, but even then, they're still very average at best in that regard, and they get very minimal push in the run game, which is where you see a lot of the inconsistencies with the run game as a whole, and it's not as scheme-diverse as you'd like it to be. And then we really did see the, the loss of DJ Reader in its full effect in this game because you have Zach Carter just not being the player that they need him to be entering now year three or going on year three. Josh Tupo doesn't look like anywhere near what he was in his best days as a Bengal, which was a few years ago, so he's probably out the door. You've had inconsistent linebacker play from, like you said, Jermaine Pratton. Also, Logan Wilson, who's had his moments, but I think it's been kind of a down year for both of those guys. And really just the cornerback play in terms of in run defense. Like, DJ Turner is obviously not a very big guy. He's never going to really be an asset in that regard. I think you're seeing kind of a shell of who Chidabe Woozy is nowadays, just coming off of that ACL injury. Now he's getting up, you know, he's pushing 30 years old, and he's going to be a free agent. And then the inconsistencies at safety. Like Dax Hill, again, not the biggest guy. He's never really going to be that much of an asset and run defense. You don't, you don't have 10 Mike Hildens out there running around. Like one Mike Hilden is a great guy to have, but you need more of them, honestly, for when you have a, a secondary that's kind of built like this. So it, it's been a lot of, you know, obviously attrition and personnel changes that have kind of led to performances like this. I don't think the Bengals necessarily are soft, but they're not as good of a tackling team as they used to be. They don't really hit guys as hard. It seems like they kind of carry guys like a couple yards down the field and then maybe bring them down. But when you have a motivated, fired-up Steelers team that's sick of the noise and sick of people counting them out, and then at their home stadium, it's just a recipe for kind of what we saw. So, yeah, I think in general, the Bengals maybe not are not as physical as they should be, and that needs to be an emphasis. But it's not like we need to turn the clock back all the way to, to the 2000s and just forget what the identity of the Bengals is, which is still a very pass-first team that needs to prioritize, you know, stopping the best quarterbacks in the league. The be- Look, the, the counter-argument that I heard and everybody that, the, hey, the Bengals are, they just won two division titles, man. What are you, what are you talking about? You know, in 21, they were, you know, they had swept the Steelers. And I mean, I, I, I get it. I get it. And that, that doesn't go unnoticed, but my point is in this moment and against this specific team. Now the Bengals have a losing record overall as a franchise against the Ravens, but I think the disparity in the history there is like four games overall in the record. So it's pretty close. And then the Bengals and the Browns are pretty close as well. I don't have that in front of me probably should, but I mean, we know that the Bengals under Marvin Lewis, they had the battle of Ohio kind of in their favor. It's probably around even-ish right now. So, I mean, that's where you need to keep it. But when you're talking about a massive disparity between particularly this one franchise, the Pittsburgh Steelers, and in a moment when they are reeling as a team, supposedly with their third quarterback starting a game for them, 
they have injuries on their side of the ball. No Mika Fitzpatrick, no Kazee because he's suspended. You have Patrick Peterson, and a, a, a guy who's played cornerback forever is now your emergency safety. No, oh, by the way, he gets the red zone interception of all different different players that it could be. It's him that that, that gets it. I just have a problem with the lack. I don't want to call it a lack of intensity or whatever, but the disparity of intensity, the disparity of physicality in that moment against this team. And it's, and you hear, you know, Oh, well, we have a physicality problem. How often have we heard that John about this particular rivalry? It's always the Steelers out, out muscling out physically. And look, you mentioned a lot of things on, on the defensive side of the ball. Of course, DJ reader is missed. Of course, They've had a lot of other injuries, CTB being, you know, being out of the lineup and, and other guys in and out. Uh, but I, I also look at that safety position. You lost Von Bell. There's a physical presence there. We all know just a few years ago what he did to Juju on primetime TV. You lost him. And then, you know, you talk about the linebackers maybe taking a step back this year. I think a lot of that is, you know, we heard so much about Jesse Bates and Von Bell lining up you know, guys in front of them on defense and making sure guys were in good places. And when you lose both of those guys in the offseason, it hurts you. It hurts you for sure. But I also look at the offensive side of the ball too, John. I mean, you look at the Bengals' offensive line, you still – I mean, I, T.J. Watt's a great, 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 great player, but you still cannot figure out some form of an answer to not allow two sacks, a pass deflection, and turnovers galore from that guy almost every single game you play him. It's the same thing with Miles Garrett. At some point, figure it out. Figure it out. And and you need to have answers for these types of problems that are recurring problems. Now, these are generational players. I get it. But it gets maddening to hear, well, you know, we still have a physicality problem. Fix it. I mean, it's easier said than done, but obsess over getting it fixed and, and work your way back into the AFC North. You are 0-5 in the AFC North. You have three road losses that are all blowout losses this year. And I don't know how promising Week 18 looks against the Browns because somehow Joe Flacco's getting it done and that defense is doing their thing. Yeah, I mean, the Browns' defense is legit and their defense coordinator is legit as well. Um, it sucks that in two Steelers games this year, the quarterback hasn't played. It's probably an impact. It's probably a factor that we should probably discuss. It's by far, Jake Bryan's two worst games are against the same team. Of course. And um, this game in particular, giving up the huge play to George Pickens, which was just a bad angle from Dax Hill, tackling yep. DJ Turner right at the catch point, and then it's just Pickens in his 4-4 speed taking off the races, put the offense in a hole early on, albeit the offense did punt on the first possession. Last week was great against the Vikings when Jake Browning led a comeback in the fourth quarter, but he's... I mean, the 49ers are kind of going through this right now as well. When you're behind and the game script changes, how much can you rely on your quarterback to dig you out of that? Is he going to do too much? Is he going to try to play hero ball? Is he going to throw into triple coverage in the end zone when he should be just throwing it away in the sidelines? That's that's the dilemma right now when you have a, a quarterback like Jake Bryant. And I think when your quarterback just kind of implodes like that from trying to do too much, it does take an effect on the rest of the team. Because... Honestly, the Bengals have been better than the Steelers when Joe Burrow's been out there. Like the, the the first loss I can think of is obviously when their long snapper got hurt and Burrow led the game when he touched down drive. And of course went to overtime because they missed they missed the extra point, but they swept him in 2021. They beat him the second time in 2022. You know, it's in they did that without Jamar Chase, by the way, at at Pines Field. So like I think in general, just when you separate 
the the pre-Burrow era and the Burrow era now, I think the Bengals have had the upper hand. Fortunately, this team, like they had Jake Bryant at quarterback, and he can't handle the Steelers' defense because it's still a, a very capable and great unit, especially with that pass rush. And like I, again, I think the base of the team is still pass first, but when you don't have that consistent run game that you can rely on, every team does need that. You can't survive the NFL without at least somewhat of a competent rushing attack, and it's just so so sporadic really because of this offensive line and it's just mismatched and it's not coherent with the scheme that they want and they just can't just pound the ball down the middle of any team that they want it's, it's an almost entirely matchup based so again you have the the whole conversation of why didn't they run the ball more well they couldn't run the ball in general which is the same issue that they ran with they ran into last time they played the Steelers again mm-hmm. so that that's another aspect of this when you don't have any sort of consistency that you can just fall back on and just help out your quarterback. That's a huge issue too. So I think morale was a little bit low when they saw Browning trying to press and they got into that hole really quick. And it's just Steelers just kind of capitalizing off of that. But again, I, I I think the turnover on defense has definitely led to some of these issues. It led to just immense tackling issues early on the season, which eventually got a little bit better as the season went on. But I think the morale impact is, is still a, an underrated aspect of this, that when your quarterback does play that badly, there's almost really just nothing that your team can do. Nothing that your team can do. That is that is for sure. I'm trying to look up the exact um, numbers that I had here. Yeah, 12 and 32 the last 20 years, um, and 70 and 39 all time in this rivalry. So 70 wins, 39 losses for the Steelers against the Bengals all time, and 32 and 12 has been the record against the Bengals by the Steelers in this with many, many, many. How many of these are primetime games? How many of these yeah. are both teams are in the playoffs? And the in the disparity of the score, the disparity of the of the intensity, that's what that's what bothers me. And you can obviously you are correct with you know some early mistakes by the by the quarterback and and just the team allowing big plays. You kind of felt those waves of momentum just get crashing on them, right? I mean it just it happened, but I, I just at some point you keep having these same or very similar issues and it's maddening. And then you hear, you know, the quotes at the end of the game, well, there's a physicality issue. It, it's just been happening for a very long time. So I, I, I would like to see them fix. What I want to ask you though is, okay, so we've talked about the, how much the safety's losing them and that's not a knock on the guys necessarily. You know, Dax was a first round pick for a reason. Jordan battle's been playing, uh, you know, some good ball of late, but there's been some, you know, we, we talked about the bad angle by Hill on that Pickens play. DJ Turner's had some really good moments this year. And then he had some bad moments the last couple of weeks. Um, how, how confident are you that guys like that, your Jordan battles, your Dax Hill, your DJ Turner's are going to start to in year two have kind of what do what we saw or, or what, what Cam Taylor Britt, did this year and and granted he's been out for about a month here but he was playing some very good football for the most part this year I mean are you confident that that group maybe in year two as starters year three overall for Dax Hill are you confident that they're going to take a similar leap and that maybe some that in itself remedies the physicality issue so I think with Taylor Britt like he was a great combination of both physicality and speed and just size in general yeah. right like he's got the length to match up with any like they needed him so badly against George Pickens because Wizzy didn't have the speed to match up against Pickens and Turner doesn't have the size to match up against Pickens 
Taylor Britt has both. It's why he bullied the crap out of DK Metcalf two months ago, right? So he's mm-hmm. so in tech, in, integral to this entire secondary. But it is, in my opinion, like the the development of all three of those guys: Turner, Battle, and Hill. I I, I would kind of consider Hill a rookie because this is his first year actually playing like anything significantly. But having all three of those guys take not it doesn't have to be a Taylor Britt leap because Taylor Britt, if he was healthy for the last four weeks, he's probably in the conversation for the Pro Bowl. They don't need him. They don't need all three of those guys to be Pro Bowlers necessarily, but the consistency needs to be rounded out incredibly. I think with Turner. He kind of hit the rookie wall because he started off the year pretty well, and it is still a really hard position to translate immediately into the NFL. But I don't think some of his issues are ever really going to go away necessarily. Like He's still got 30-inch arms, which I think was the main cause for him giving up that touchdown last week against Jordan Addison. He's never going to be that dominant guy at the catch point knocking you know deep balls away unless his timing is perfectly. And that can get better the more reps that he gets. And he'll always have that speed enough to catch up to those deep balls. But right. that's always going to be an issue for him, I think. With battle, he's never going to be you know as fast as Dax Hill. He's never going to be that rangy guy. So the, the way that they can utilize him outside of just as a box safety or as a cover two safety, as a two deep shell safety, it's always going to be kind of limited, which means that they aren't able to always have Dax Hill uh, close to the line of scrimmage or in the slot, which is where he played for the most part in college. Like they need him back there as, as a rangy, you know, deep safety because he's the only guy with, with the range to do that. Like Nick Scott has that range, but obviously he proved to just be a liability in that regard and just really any regard where he's been on the field. That's why Mike Hilton has been a safety for like a handful of snaps a game, just because they want some, a guy with experience and range back there so they can have Dax Hill do other things closer to the line. So, all three of those guys just maximizing what they can do with their skill sets and just just more experience definitely helps too. But they need all three of those guys to play more consistency consistently next year because the secondary and the miscommunication and just just being out of the wrong spots just from a lack of experience it's it's killed this team in, in a lot of ways. Just like you know their deficiencies up front and obviously defensive tackle is is a huge issue on its own. But yeah, the secondary needs to be a lot better next year. Well, they need to be better across the board. This defense has been a bit disappointing in a lot of different respects. There's been a lot of growing pains. There's been some flashes of good stuff too from, you know, the new the new players back there, that no doubt about it, but pass rush aside from Trey Hendrickson, it's been a little bit of an issue. You're starting to see some good stuff from, you know, from Miles there uh the past few weeks, but, you know, Joseph Asai totally MIA. Um Cam Sample, he'll give you something here and there. And rotational duty but they they really need you know some additional help there hubbard you know usually rely on him for you know eight plus sacks a year and and you know there's been a little bit of a dip i think there too um so i i just they need to kind of just figure out a lot of different things figure out a lot of different things on that side of the ball because it's been a lot a lot worse this year than it has been in prior years for sure um but the Bengals get a little bit of good news and we'll, we'll talk about the chiefs specifically in a minute but the Bengals got a little bit of a good, uh, some good news in a way um, with two of their stars who missed last week. Uh, we just talked about one in Cam Taylor Britt. So as of Wednesday, the 27th, he went full in practice. And uh, I believe Jamar Chase went through a walkthrough um, with his shoulder injury there. So um that I I don't know exactly what that means for Chase but things are looking up for Cam Taylor Britt to potentially um you know take the field this this week and and you know give it a go yeah that was fortunately that was the expectation he suffered an ankle injury in the days leading up to uh the first 
want to say it was, it was the Jags game, I think, uh, when they were practicing uh, leading up to that week. They put him on IR, but they felt pretty confident that he would not need the full four weeks to recover. So he may have been able to play last week, which is why he's able to practice right now. He was immediately cleared, and he was immediately on the practice field. So it was like a two, three-week injury for him and his ankle, and and we should see 100% of Cam Taylor-Britt out on the field Sunday in Kansas City with Chase. Like, the reports initially were he's definitely going to miss one week. He may miss two, which to me, like, paints in as potentially a game-time decision. Um, I I would guess he practices in some capacity Friday, which opens that conversation and probably gives him the questionable label. Again, that's just projection. This is Wednesday when we're recording this, but they do have a walkthrough Wednesday morning. Then Zach Taylor speaks, and they have their actual practice. So uh, Chase was wearing the GPS uh, tracker on his chest, and he had cleats on, but he wasn't in uh, uniform or a helmet. He was just doing uh, some just light-catching drills on the rehab field. I think he's trying to minimize how much pressure and stress is on that right shoulder. Again, he had an AC joint sprain and suffered against the Vikings not even two weeks ago. It's typically an injury that you know requires you to miss maybe two weeks or maybe more, depending on the, on the severity. But this is an injury that I would expect him to try and play through this week, but he's got to get on the practice field at least once. Yeah, and then you see the list here on Cincy Jungle, the list for injured Bengals on the report. Pretty low, though, as we mentioned, they lost DJ Reader and DJ Ivy for the year a week prior against the Vikings, uh, along with a number of different injuries just in that in that game there. But only Jamar Chase, Jalen Davis, Cam Sample, and Cam Taylor Britt, with Chase being the only one who did not practice Wednesday. But as we mentioned, he was kind of doing some stuff. Uh, the others were limited, and of course, Cam Taylor Britt was full. And you look down here uh, for the Chiefs, and you got the corner Legarius Sneed did not did not practice, uh, and then illness from Jalen Watson. Boy, do I know what that's like this month. Um, did not practice <laughs> Isaiah Pacheco with the concussion and shoulder injury. He did not practice. Neither did Donovan Smith, an offensive tackle, and Kadarius Tony with a hip problem. Tony with his hands this this year. I I mean. <laughs> I don't know that that, I mean, I know there's a lot of people unhappy with Tony. I'm not going to make a snide comment because I'm not playing in the NFL, but I know there are a lot of people, Chiefs faithful, that are not pleased with Kadarius Tony this year. Uh, And then you've got Trey Smith, the guard, with uh, going limited with ankle and knee issues. Nick Bolton, the linebacker, went full and full the rest of the way, but a lot of guys listed, including Trent McDuffie, the uh, former first-round pick at corner, um, having a shoulder issue, et cetera. So a lot of guys listed, but about half of the guys listed did practice full as of Wednesday for the Chiefs. Yeah. Um, I, with Pacheco, I think he, like his helmet came off like two separate plays within like four plays of each other, both when he had the ball. And it came off and he's, as he was going to the crown, and I think he took like a knee right to the head, and I don't think he finished that game against yeah. the Raiders. So. In, th- in this game specifically, though, I mean, we, we can talk about the Chiefs in general, but like w- with how much the Bengals are struggling right now, stopping the run with their defensive tackle issues and their lack of depth there and really just their inconsistent play from linebackers, like it wouldn't surprise me if the Chiefs try to make this like an AFC North, you know, classic game where they just try to pound the rock. But um, right now they have probably Clyde Edwards-Alaire, you know, slated to start in for uh, Isaiah Pacheco, who, you know, Edwards-Alaire has started this year. Um, 
because of Pacheco's injuries. So if Pacheco doesn't end up going, if he stays in the concussion protocol, we could see Edward Delaire, you know, chasing uh, Burroughs' old teammate at LSU, kind of maybe taking the line share of those carries. Well, for all the complaints we've done over the course of the past two shows about the Bengals, their lack of physicality, and the big questions that came about from that game last week against the Steelers, oh boy, are there questions with the Kansas City <laughs> Chiefs right now. And they, man, you think they get it figured out, and then they have a performance like they did against the Raiders this last week where, what was it? Freaking two defensive touchdowns in a matter of seven game seconds, something like that. Yeah. Uh, I mean, it was unbelievable what occurred there. And that's against a Raiders team that, yeah, they're playing, you know, they're playing tough for, for Antonio Pierce, the the guy who's, you know, stepping in as, as their interim head coach. But, I mean, it's not a great Raiders team. We know that. And we've seen this Chiefs team, you know, they had the stumble against the Lions, who ended up obviously being good the rest of the way. In the opener, there's been a couple of games where you go, man, this just doesn't look like the same team. Uh, they are really struggling in a lot of different aspects. And uh, you're seeing some frustration from some of the players there. And a lot of it centers around, quite honestly, wide receiver problems. I mean, there are other issues too, but the wide receiver problems are really, really plaguing the Chiefs right now. I mean, when you have, you have Antonio Brown tweeting at you maybe the Chiefs need some a b in their life I'm paraphrasing a little bit you got some problems um it's yeah. just what it's yeah. Rasheed Rice who's a very talented rookie mid-round pick at SMU I watched him when he played UC in the past couple of years if he's your best wide out that's a problem because it's not just that it's not just the lack of you know Sky Moore and Kadarius Tony obviously not being who they envisioned they'd be it's like at best 75 percent of what peak Travis Kelsey has been over the course of the past decade, I don't know if it's just age. I don't know if it's relationship weight. Whatever the case may be, he doesn't look as as quick as he is as he used to be. But still, <laughs> but still, I mean, like he's still he's still a heavily targeted, you know, check not check down, but like intermediate option for Mahomes. It's the same mm. move, by the way. It's always like a stop route. He catches the ball facing Mahomes. He does like one little juke to the left and just cuts up field after turning it's the like other way. And it works every and all kind of, yeah. it works every yeah. time, right? Even if he yeah, only yeah. is only running at like five miles an hour nowadays. But yeah, it, <laughs> it it was in that in that Raiders game though. It was I think Mahomes legitimately ran there was a stat that was posted online he ran like 800 something yards just for scrambling like extending plays like come on guys someone someone get open right i'm holding the ball for five to six seconds and the offensive line was looking a lot worse and already like it's been juan taylor and and donovan smith kind of being like average at best tackles who are still penalized a decent amount so it was already kind of leaking around the edges and against max crosby and uh, the the other edge that the Raiders have, he played really well, but it was just Mahomes running for his life because no one could get open, right? I don't even think the mm-hmm. scheme necessarily has changed since Eric Bieniemy has left the former offensive coordinator now with the Washington Commanders. It's just that they've been trying to identify like a Tyreek Hill replacement, which with like the same archetype of athlete, and no one has come remotely close because obviously there 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 is no Tyreek Hill 2.0 or Tyreek Hill clone in the NFL. The Chiefs got rid of him. They were able to win a Super Bowl with like Juju Smith-Schuster as their lead receiver. He's now with the Patriots or whatever. So they just haven't been able to properly fill out that receiver room for the best quarterback in the game and it's making him press it's making him force balls into tight windows and and overthrowing and just it's been really I think really hard on him trying to adapt to this and honestly man like every game 
it's one player on the Chiefs, at least one player, like exploding on the sideline. This team doesn't know how to handle adversity, and it's because of a lack of personnel. So when you when you look at this Chiefs team, they are nine and six. They have one one more win than that of the Cincinnati Bengals at this point, which is just not only makes this still an intriguing matchup because these teams both have winning records at this point in the season, but also you kind of figured maybe that wouldn't have been the case with Bengals with the Bengals losing Burrow, obviously. So when you look at the ebbs and flows, I, I guess I could share this because I'm looking at their this screen here, a little uh, Google being my friend here. This is the Chiefs schedule this year. And I want people to, to look at this and see the ebbs and flows of what happened here. So they start off 0-1. They barely lose to the Lions, as I mentioned before. And they rattle off like five or six wins in a row, right, against the Jags, against the Bears, against the Jets, against the Vikings, against the Broncos, against the Chargers. And then it gets really weird what, what's happened to them over the course of – now, granted, you're playing some tough teams in here. The Dolphins, the Broncos were a little more scrappy than I think people thought they would be, particularly in the middle of the season. You have the Eagles there. That's a tough game. Uh, so they get, they lose to the Broncos. They get a win from the Dolphins. They lose to the Eagles. They get a big win over the Raiders. Then they lose to the Packers. They lose to the Bills. They kind of – this the one against the Patriots was a little closer than the score would indicate there, 27-17 and then they lose on Christmas Day to the Raiders. So it's been a lot of, like, pendulum swinging back and forth, back and forth. Um, so after a hot start where, what, they were 6-1 and one or something like that, 7-1, and one, something like that, now they are 9-6, nine and nine and six, and they have lost a number of games sprinkled through the back middle and back part of this schedule here, and they have become a real hit-and-miss team. And you mentioned a lot of the issues causing that are the wide receivers and, you know, just – the uh, like you said, maybe Mahomes pressing a little bit because of the wide receiver issues and other elements, uh, you know, that they could rely upon these past half this past half decade that really have not been there the last half of this season. Something interesting, too. I think there are including week one's close loss to the Lions before anyone really knew that these issues were a thing. They're three and four at Arrowhead this year, which seems ridiculous considering they've gone to the Super Bowl like three of the last four years all going through Kansas City right as the one seed so they're not slated to be the one seed this year they're not going to have home field advantage they're still all but certainly going to win the AFC West but there's a, a very real chance that they go on the road this in the playoffs and that might actually help them apparently because they're just so wildly inconsistent in front of their own stadium um I, I look at the I look at the issues though that Mahomes specifically is going through, and I look at that compared to what Anarumo Lunarumo has done as the Bengals defense coordinator. It's always been about forcing Mahomes to hold on to the ball for as long as he can. It's always been about you know showing showing pressure but dropping eight in those specific spots, and obviously when those third downs come into play, then showing a late pressure look and then trying yep. to get him to throw it yep. away. Like it's it, the formula has been the same. And part of that is because you've had the personnel in the back end of the secondary to do that. I think safety play has obviously been an extremely critical part of that process. And I don't know how much the process is going to change now that you have two more inexperienced guys there. But considering the issues that Mahomes is going through now, the fact that you have Taylor Brick coming back as your number one cornerback facing, I guess, I guess it's Rasheed Rice. But I like I don't know like how much the Chiefs move around the receivers and whatnot. You have the advantage, I think, from the secondary going up against the Chiefs receivers. Your pass rush may not be all the way there, if aside from Hendrickson, but.
But if, if the goal here is to just get Mahomes to hold the ball and force his receivers to win after like five, six seconds, the Bengals passers is going to find him at that point, you know, regardless of the agility that Mahomes has. So I think their issues align up with, you know, a, a good, decent bounce back performance of the Bengals, aside from just their history of limiting Mahomes like they've done. Yeah, to your to your point, that's that's a great breakdown of what Luana Rumo has traditionally done in these last handful of games. Um, he has done a lot of the the contained stuff on the edges, primarily using Sam Hubbard, especially on his side, doing that. But uh, Hendrickson's still getting in there for some plays, and then you know you'd have I, I think Cam Sample in the AFC Championship game had a pretty good game last uh, last year as well. Um, he had a he had a sack, but late uh, I think early in that game. But uh, you know, look. It's going to take more of that. The Bengals tried to do some of that stuff with Lamar, and Lamar uh, was it was able to take advantage and, and make some plays there. And so I'm interested to see what's going to happen here, particularly with the wide receiver issues, because that's kind of the give and take here. The Bengals really relied, and they stepped up huge against Kansas City so many times in those you know three games that that they played against each other the last couple of years. Jesse Bates and, and Von Bell did, but now you've got a, you know a different set, and I would assume that the game plan by Lou and Rumo is going to remain the same. So now you have this you know cat and mouse game of are the are the Chiefs receivers going to be able to get enough space, hang on to the ball when it's thrown to them, and make enough plays to get past the Bengals? And which team is which from what they showed last week? Right? I mean who? which was the anomaly, right? Is it, are the chiefs kind of trending the way that their season has gone where they're just kind of all over the place? Was it just a bad matchup and the injuries caught up with the Bengals last week, but they're getting potentially a couple of big guys back this week and they can maybe take advantage of a weaker chiefs team. than we've seen the past couple of weeks, there's a lot of chess match stuff going on in this one. Yeah, I, I think the Raiders defense has been obviously a lot better than we expected. Honestly, the Raiders, whenever they fire their coach, they just get like a 50% <laughs> increase, right? Because the, the Rich Versace Raiders, you know, they yeah, won at yeah. the end of the season and they faced the Bengals, yeah. then they gave them their first playoff win. And now it's Antonio yeah. Pierce, you know, getting those guys to play their hearts out. So I think the Chiefs are going to look at the Bengals defense as an easier opponent, I think, just from a personnel standpoint. And honestly, just because Mahomes was just getting a ton of cardio out there, I think they want to take it more easy on him. I think they're going to try to run out the Bengals got this this week. And I, honestly, whenever you face the Bengals in their defensive tackle group, like that probably should be the plan, right? Force your linebackers to kind of make plays behind a very bad interior defensive line. You know, force Sam Hubbard to be Superman, you know, you know, knifing his way from the edge to the inside there. Force your force their secondary to make those tackles in the open field. Like Pacheco is a guy that can that can generate explosive runs if he is out there. I, I don't think Edwards Hilaire is, is is as explosive as you know Pacheco is in, in that regard, but I think Edwards Lair has more power to him, so he can run up the gut as well. I think they're going to try to be more balanced in this approach and maybe even play like in that more AFC North style of football just to put the pressure off of Mahomes trying to be Superman with the receivers. Because honestly, if the Chiefs want to go anywhere this year, Mahomes is going to just have to play out of his mind and just elevate these guys somehow. But that's obviously easier said than done. So from a Bengals defensive standpoint, they're going to probably you know start off doing the same similar things against Mahomes, but they might have to adjust to just put more guys in the box and they'll they'll change the, their scheme a little bit. So let's let's do something a little different before we get to predictions and that sort of thing. Let's talk about what you think. Not it can be a single player if if you would like, but 
a specific position group that you feel is on each side of the ball for the Bengals this week that you feel is especially critical in this one. I would, I guess I would lean because of the questions there at interior defensive line for the Bengals. And you're saying ground and pound, maybe a little bit more from the chiefs than we've traditionally seen. So Zach Carter, J2 Fele, I think they, they released Dominique Davis this week, right after kind of mm-hmm. maneuvering him around a little bit. So you know, Tupo, uh, I mean, obviously we know B.J. Hill. He's a solid player, and he comes up with some of the craziest, craziest turnovers <laughs> uh, at times. Um, but they got to have someone next to him, and they got to have someone doing something of note next to him. So I, I guess I would say for me on, on defense, maybe it's thanks, Captain Obvious, but interior defensive line, primarily, you know, what they're going to do with the nose tackle spot where Reader was. And who's going to step up there? Yeah, um, I, I would say linebackers for, for a couple of reasons. One, I think you just have to have those guys just stay on top of their keys as much as possible and be able to, to get off blocks because it's just harder yeah. when you don't have 340 pounds of DJ Reader making your life a little bit easier there. And not just for run defense, though. I think the for I mean, of all the bad things that happened last week, at the very least, Pat Firemuth didn't necessarily go off. They didn't need him to because Pickens had 200 freaking yards. But, you know, Firemuth was a problem a few weeks ago, and I think they had a better plan to stop him. It wasn't just Dax Hill matching up with him all game. I think it was a combination of both Dax Hill and the linebackers kind of, you know, double doubling him and just, you know, uh, passing off coverages at that point. And that's going to be need to be the same plan against Travis Kelsey because, again, even if he isn't the, the same athlete that, that he was, He's still a chain mover, right? He, he still converts key first downs. He's still able to get some yards after the catch. He's not going to be the guy that takes the top off your defense, but in those short intermediary zones, you need your linebackers and Dax Hill when he's up there to just kind of stay on top of him. Good, good call. On offense, I'm going to go, you know, there's a lot of different places that I could I could point to, and a lot of it may depend on does Jamar Chase play or not. Um, I, and, I, and I think... In- way this position group is one that you know i look at whether or not jamar chase plays and and the role that they would play and that's the running backs john because here's the thing i know it takes a whole group to be able to be effective on the ground it takes you know it takes the offensive line it takes the scheme it takes you know all that kind of stuff but when these running backs are at least threatening or have shown the ability to make a big play or two in these games you look at jacksonville you look at indianapolis you look at the minnesota game uh, you look, Chase Brown had close to 50 total yards against Minnesota. Um, and then of course, you know, he had the big play against Indianapolis, the, the screen pass that he took for a touchdown Jacksonville, he had 92 total yards, you know I mean? And then last week, what was it for him? It was 24 total yards. And then Joe Mixon, the same thing, you know, when he's rattling off the occasional big run, the big play, the physical run and at least is showing the ability to make a big play here and there. It doesn't have to be every single time he's touching the football, but when he is showing the ability, that allows you to run play action, that allows you to run the bootlegs, that takes pressure off of Jake Browning to have to be Superman throughout an entire game. And, of course, we know if you have the ability to sustain drives, that keeps Patrick Mahomes a little bit off the field more. So, to me, I am looking at the running back group this week that again, it's not just on them, but it's going to be about their 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 ability to at least have a, a threatening presence in this game 
to be able to maintain some offensive bounce because that was not the case last week. And I think we saw how, how badly that shaped up for the Bengals. Absolutely. In addition to that, I think Joe Mixon specifically has done a good job of bouncing back from like an off week to just kind of yeah. getting back on track. And obviously, again, it's not just him. It's the offensive line. It's the game script. It's it's all of that, right? Mm-hmm. You don't like mm-hmm. if you're down a ton, you just can't just force feed him to get up to 25 carries and you magically get a right. win. That's just not how it works. But I think he's done a good job of stepping up after, you know, maybe some lackluster statistical performances. Let's say that. But not not just that. I mean, last year's AFC championship game, or I guess technically this year calendar year, like he was a non-factor in that game. He was taken off the field in very critical moments for pass protection purposes. And he just couldn't run the ball against the chiefs defense. I I wonder how much of that game is is on his mind entering this week, considering how much help Jake Browning needs to just take the weight off of his shoulders. I I would expect him to be pretty fired up for this one, considering what happened this past season and what maybe what happened last week. But I don't think anything is more important than just Jake Brown. You're just playing within himself and playing more poised and control. I think the Chiefs defense is by far the best thing about this team. The Bengals have given up the most explosive plays on a defense in the 111. The Chiefs have given up like the fourth or fifth least with like about 70 in terms of just both passing and running. They don't give up a lot of big plays. I think their cornerbacks have played extremely well considering they're not the most experienced and the most not the most well-known. It's a very cheap defense outside of just Chris Jones's contract, which I guess is up after this year. They've just been maximizing a ton of those guys and Carl Loftus is a great guy off the edge too so Steve Spagnuolo is having a phenomenal year coordinating that defense it's obviously very aggressive when it needs to be and against Jake Browning like that's a formula for maybe another shaky game from him he needs to just be smarter with the football like plain and simple well there you go I like that too so where are you going in this one here I gotta recheck the line here and I will do that in just a second about Um, seven points I think but it's seven points okay uh, so where, how are you feeling on this? Um, you know, it, it, did the Chiefs show you enough last week and sporadically through the middle and back parts of the season that, hey, this is a hyper winnable game and I think the Bengals will bounce back nicely? Or have the Bengals just had to overcome too much injury-wise and other things going on that going into Arrowhead this time of year seems insurmountable? Well, it's definitely winnable. Like, I don't think anyone should be afraid of the Chiefs at this point. And that's not disrespectful to, you know, what they've done in the past couple of years. It's not disrespectful to the head coach or the quarterback. It's just factoring in who they are right now. They don't have any legitimate receiving threats outside of a rookie who is good for like six catches and 60 yards a game. Um, it's it's causing bad play from the quarterback. It's causing bad play from the offensive line. It's putting that entire offense in the flux. Their defense is still legit, though. They're still playing at home. They're coming off an embarrassing loss. They don't lose to the Raiders very often. I, th- I don't think they've lost to the Raiders in years, right? So they're, they're pissed about that, too. One thing about predicting this game, it has to be a three-point game, right? It's always a three-point game against this team. So <laughs> yeah, yeah. that's something to keep in mind. It's going to be a defensive battle. I would expect the under, the regular under to hit in this one. I think it's like 44 right now, the over-under. I think it's going to be two very aggressive defenses with a lot to prove, uh, specifically the Bengals you know, coming back from giving up 34 points to Mason Rudolph. I think they still have the personnel to match up with what this Chiefs, defense, Chiefs offense is right now. It's just going to be about whether or not Jake Browning can make to, can make the necessary plays within structure to actually you know put enough points on the board. I I really don't know though. I, I think we're looking at like like a 20 to 17 Chiefs win maybe. 2017 Chiefs win. I could definitely see that occurring. You are right about the seven point uh, seven point spread. Chiefs are seven point favorites. I definitely see the Bengals at least covering that. Um, I've got a heart 
heart and mind fight going on here with this one, John, because I, in in my heart, I, I like to believe that the Bengals go in there and, you know, once again, just stick it to the Chiefs um, and once again do so on their home turf. I think, unfortunately, a lot of it will reside in if Jamar Chase plays or not, and even if it's on a limited basis on a, on a snap count, that sort of thing. I think just what he does, even though – what you look back at the the win streak there was really only one super dominant game you know the one against Jacksonville where he you know took over that one where I think it was 11 catches and 120 yards and the touchdown and all kinds of different stuff and then you look you know I mean he had a couple of you know 80 yards 60 yards that sort of thing in the win streak but there was just in those performances where he didn't have the big gaudy stats there was just the one or two catches where you go, not many people on planet Earth could make that play. Not many, you know, or just the fact that he is so good that he just, he's going to make a play, even if it's not all that difficult of a catch. And you saw that against the Vikings one or two times. You saw that against the Colts one or two times. And that not being there last week, I think, just really hurt them. So I think, you know, I'm inclined to kind of agree with you. Maybe it's a, uh, you know, a 17-14 or maybe even upwards of 24-20 type of thing where I would lean Chiefs. But if if I think Cam Taylor-Britt, who is trending to come back, that's a big gain. I think if, if Chase even comes back on, on a limited basis and even just is a guy on the field commanding attention, I think that that this then becomes a game the Bengals sneak away with. I'm a, I, I'm a little undecided on where I go because I think Jamar Chase and him playing plays that big of a factor in this game. I think the Bengals would be, still be able to keep it close if he does not play. But if he is even is if he's out there even on a limited basis and they're not even throwing the ball, just commanding attention, I think the Bengals could sneak away with a win here. And if they do sneak a win, Rob Duncan, we will not be saying Browning Head. Under Browning Head. No, let's not. <laughs> First of all, Browning Head, that sounds like a little suggestive. I don't know. Yeah, um, yeah. But yeah, Chase obviously playing is key. We we saw firsthand the first game in the Joe Burrow era without Jamar Chase, or at least the first game in with both Chase and Burrow on the roster without either of them playing, and it led to a 23-point loss on the road where they got outclassed in every sense of the word. So I, I think Chase is going to try to fight like hell to play in this one we just don't know enough at this point obviously if you're listening to this on friday or saturday we, we already know the answer to that and maybe our thoughts change a little bit on that but yeah it's 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 two quarterbacks that i think in their own respective ways have a lot to kind of go through right now and they're facing their own adversity brownie doesn't really know what his career kind of holds after this year there's a lot of pressure on Mahomes to just do a lot with maybe not a lot and he's facing a team that at least from an all-time, or at least an all-time standpoint, kind of has his numbers. So a lot on the line on Sunday. A lot on the line. Well, um, if you got a score, share it with us. We'll be here just a couple more minutes, but we're going to get out of here. Want to uh, drop the mic and get on out of here, John? Find some final thoughts from you. What do you What do you have? So about a week ago, um, I think it was last Thursday. We, my family, has our annual happy hour, and this year we chose mm-hmm. to do it at Factory Fifty Two. Which, if you're from Cincinnati, you know that's in in the Norwood area. I was there. I got there like five thirty, and at eight thirty, I had more than enough probably at that point to drink. Um, <laughs> I was I, I didn't black out or anything, but I was I was a bit tipsy, and we were at this one bar called uh, or one brewery called Fretboard, and I was about to leave. Um, I was about to leave the bar. And I get a text from James Rapine, 
He said, hey, you just passed me fretboard. So I immediately book it back, still inebriated. And I said, well, hey, what, hey, what's up, James? You know, I'm sorry I missed you or whatever. And I I remember for the most part what I said, but it didn't come out the way that I wanted to. I wanted to, I wanted to congrat- first and foremost congratulate him on all the success that he's had with Cincinnati Bengals talk, obviously running all Bengals, and now most recently Inside the Reds, which is another um, SB, or, excuse me, a Sports Illustrated website that now covers the Reds in the same aspect. So a lot of credit to his success. And he's got a book na- out now uh, called Enter the Jungle or something like that. Yep. Uh, it's been on Very sale. Impressive Definitely get that it. He, was, he did that. That's awesome. Yeah. So a great year for James Rapine. I wanted to relay yep. all that. And it kind of came out like if I can just kind of, you know, I'm I'm just really really happy for your success. You know, like you have that drunk voice where you're just kind of like happy or whatever. Like I, was I love you, man. It, yeah, it's, it's kind of how it came out, and I wanted it to be a little bit more professional as, as a colleague. But you know, James is a good guy. He's a good friend. I'm glad I saw him last Thursday. Sorry if I was a little drunk, though, James. Yeah, we got to get them back on the show. We'd love to have them back on. Um, yeah, and I I, I got to get myself a copy of that of that book that he put out. I want to I want to do that. So um, congratulations to him. Yeah, they. He does great work, and uh, I know he works extremely hard at his craft and what he does too. So, um, kudos to him and and the All Bengals staff, and he and he and Jake have a great show, of course. So, um, yeah, that's that's a cool story. Uh, what I, I still haven't met him. I haven't met either of those guys in person. I just when I've been out there, I haven't been able to connect with them. I'd like to do that in person sometime. Uh, I I don't really have uh, as cool of a story as that is. I I guess I you know we we've talked so much Jamar Chase. On this show, I just want to say, and granted, there are two games left, and we'll see what happens. But it's been nice to see a bit of a turnaround from T. Higgins the last couple of weeks. Um, you know, he was the hero against the Vikings. He, even though last week just absolutely sucked on so many fronts for for the Bengals and their offense, it was he still had a, a huge play that kind of injected a little bit of life. Where you go, hey, man, maybe you get a couple stops here, and if you keep keep things rolling, maybe you're able to to get things going. Of course, that didn't happen, but. It's good to see him pick things back up. I know he's had a tough year with a lot of different things going on and, and of course, you know, injuries and, and everything. So uh, I'm, I'm happy to see him playing the the brand of football that we are accustomed to after kind of enduring a lot of different things here. And as you and I know, you met him in person and I, I did the video chat when he was on our show late, late last year. He's an incredibly affable guy, um, million dollar smile. Uh, does a lot of stuff in the community and you know I, I think he really likes being a Cincinnati Bengal so I kind of have a soft spot for him a little bit but it's good to see him have a, a nice couple of bounce back games after you know being injured and having a couple of struggles here and there hell I mean if the if the Steelers game obviously goes differently like we'll, we'll look back on that the 80 yards you know slant to a touchdown like we never really seen we've never really seen him in that position where he's just got breakaway speed for like 70 yards mm-hmm. and he's got to outrace everyone it was a it was a unique cool moment for T which obviously boosted his numbers but you know I wrote about this you know, like last week with Chase being out and this these are these could be the last handful of games with him in the Bengals uniform because we don't know what's going to happen with with him in the offseason it's a very critical time for him and really the future of his career like he can elevate himself to the top of the of the wide receiver free agent market he could obviously garner more leverage negotiations with, with the Bengals if he decides to stick around here or whatnot it's just a very very crucial time uh, for him after you know it's obviously not been the contract year that he's wanted but none of that matters now he's had back-to-back really good games and he can really close the year out on an emphasis and say yeah I'm still that dude so I'm happy for him yeah and I want to I want to just tack on one quick thing to what we were talking about with the physicality thing in the division and 
with his status up in the air with the Bengals, hopefully they figure out a way to make it happen. I still am optimistic that at least a franchise tag thing will happen. Hopefully a long-term deal will be reached, but physicality isn't just, you know, the offensive line play and the defensive line play and hard hits by your linebackers and et cetera, et cetera. Physicality comes in the form of a six foot four wide receiver who out jumps defensive backs, high points, the ball out muscles them as well. So I think him and what he has done, he's had some good games against the Steelers and he's had some good games uh, across the board in his career. He's been a very, very good player. You know, I, I think he brings that physicality and is a key to the Bengals rebounding against the AFC North last year. So I think as they maybe, again, season's not over, so we don't want to go in offseason mode yet. But I, I think as the Bengals turn their focus on, okay, how do we build this team to get through this division? I think T. Higgins is a big part of that plan with his size and his skill set and what he does. Um, I, I think that's part of it. I mean, we're seeing firsthand, if you're watching any Falcons games, we're seeing the highlights, how much of an impact that a guy like Jesse Bates can have and just mm-hmm. kind of t- help turn around the team. Like, T. Higgins is always going to be part of, I think, a winning team. Like, he's always going to be impactful yep. in generating wins. Like, he may not be the exact receiver that Jamar Chase is, but I think if he gets the chance to you know get a life-changing contract in the open market, he's going to have no trouble doing that, just like Jesse Bates had no trouble finding a new home in Atlanta. So it's going to be a very intense next couple months for him, his agency, and obviously the Bengals front office as they try to make something work. But I, I think the Bengals would love nothing more than just to keep him around and the impact that he makes. Thank you, T. Brookie. Appreciate that. And as Rob Duncan said, don't forget to vote for Teddy, um, Ted Karras for the Walter Payton Man of the Year Award. I think he's on top of the fan voting mm-hmm. portion at this point. So continue that. And obviously a testament to everything he does with the Cincy hat and the village of Marici, et cetera. So um, great guy for sure. Thanks, everybody, for tuning in again. If you're new here or if you haven't just done it yet, please click the show icon underneath the Cincy Jungle icon on our wallpaper there on the YouTube channel to subscribe. Click the subscribe button and then click the bell to be notified when we go live, when new content is available. Give us a thumbs up on our videos as you scroll through the catalog. We've got all kinds of stuff, including this show is a staple, some fun interviews with current former Bengals players and, you know, all kinds of people who cover the team and, you know, cover the opposition. So go check out all that stuff. And then of course, if you like what we do, you can also subscribe through your favorite audio streamer on the Cincy Jungle podcast channel with a slate of a lot of other great shows. Keep it to cincyjungle.com for all your news, opinions, analysis, your podcast. And of course, Go check out what John is doing at A to Z Sports as well. He's killing it over there with the AFC North and Bengals coverage. John, I hope we are talking about the Bengals remaining alive by virtue of a win against the Kansas City Chiefs, which are really becoming a, dare I say, an unlikable team, not only from a Bengals perspective, but maybe just in general. You've been really holding back on this show. I feel like the the, the opinion is I'm much heated. more. I'm heated. Yeah. <laughs> Happy New Year, guys. We'll see you in 2024. Happy New Year. <laughs>